And thanks for joining me, everyone. Charles Moskowitz here. Welcome to the program. I am doing this uh, segment regularly at, on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, live on YouTube and at all subscribing platforms with David, who is a fellow YouTuber, um, a host of his own interview program. We often comment on uh, Jewish issues, on Israel issues. David, thanks for joining me. Can you hear me, David? Yeah, my pleasure. I, I, I had myself muted. Uh, okay. Thanks for having me back. Happy Hanukkah. Thank you. Same to you. Um, you know, I have coming up in the next segment, uh, as I was mentioning, Colonel David J. Giamona, who is the author of The Military Guide to Armageddon, Bible-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. Um, he's a pretty credible guy. He's a former military chaplain a 30-year career in the U.S. military. And, um, you know, it kind of raises the question about uh, the uh, the end times, so-called, and, and what the Jewish view is that of that. You know, in these particular times, you know, one can almost feel like we are reaching a major change. I mean, between the, um, the pandemic, we're all locked in, and, you know, now there's uh, rumors that this could go on for years. You've got the um, election being stolen, and that's being done openly and brazenly. And it shows how powerful now computers are and uh, high tech is in terms of controlling who's in power and who can who, who gets to be uh, heard with the, uh, the big tech censorship. And uh, I really can understand where someone may feel like this is nearing an end times. I mean, I don't think it's that bad. I mean, I personally, but, but nevertheless, it does raise some serious questions about what that end times might look like, what sort of a scenario that might be. And I'm wondering from you, David, with your research in Jewish issues, what is the understanding, if you will, the Jewish understanding of, of an end times scenario, if any? Thanks. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the question, the topic, because uh, in reality, that probably is my most favorite topic, uh, eschatology, mm -hmm. um, which from a largely Judeo perspective is not that big of a deal. It's part of our, our theology. There's a lot of rabbis and sages and Judaism has uh, one of the most elaborate uh, cosmologies and end of time belief system. Uh, but Judaism is more a day-to-day -day practical religion that deals with uh, what we're supposed to do, you know, what's kosher, what's not kosher. Uh, can we do this? Can we not do that? However, the biblical prophecies uh, that we read, you know, scripture, when we go to synagogue, we read Moses, we, uh, we read, uh, you know, Haftor, the Hebrew prophets, uh, there's the writings of the Talmud and the sages, and uh, there's an expression in Hebrew, in the, in the Talmud, if we're not prophets ourselves, you know, God forbid uh, uh, you know, all humility to say about Judaism, uh, then we're at least the descendants of prophets. And uh, you know, the claim, if there's any truth to Judaism, is that uh, we're kind of good at pick, predicting the future. Um, and we, we could take a logical, rationalistic uh, perspective, um, but I think you would see that as a Jewish characteristic uh, from Orthodox to even secular Jews, you just like, I'm a Jew, I have some sort of natural ability to be better at predicting the future than uh, most people like Joseph and the interpretation of dreams and uh, you know, even the professions like uh, financial speculation um, 
but the idea of the end times usually is kind of seen as negative before Messiah. So I've been learning with Luke Ford, um, Professor Mark Shapiro, Rabbi Mark Shapiro's book on Maimonides' 13 principles, but Maimonides lays it out, um, the the 12th principle, the Animan Mim, um, Bemuna Shlema, Bebiasa Mashiach, Akakalo, that uh, I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah, and even though he may tarry, I, I anticipate Messiah's coming uh, every day. And then the last principle about resurrection of the dead. So I mean, the Talmud even says very clearly that we're required to believe these certain principles about eventually a Messiah coming and this concept of resurrection of the dead and uh, a few surrounding principles. So beyond that, Judaism is more a day-to-day religion that it, it doesn't really matter so much what we believe. You know, to a large extent, you could kind of be an atheist and even an Orthodox Jew. You could uh, have wacky theories about the end of days. It's more practicality. Are you following the law? Are we being good to our fellow man? And you know what God's going to do at the end of days is relatively uncertain. However, right. Almost every single one of our major sages has written large amounts of materials about what they think is going to happen at the end of the days. And, and, and you know, God forbid, um, usually there's a base answer because Judaism is based in free will where God's plan is going to get carried out no matter what. There's nothing that humanity can do to prevent God's plan from being carried out. And if we as humans act in an appropriate way, submit ourselves to God and are good to each other and follow, you know, in theory, say the seven Noahide principles or some basic humanity level, all creation could be included in redemption. However, when the time for redemption comes, those who are not ready for it um, are probably not going to be included, God forbid. And there's some merciful in the sages. That's why there's all these writings and interesting philosophical speculation will the most evil evil of all people mm-hmm. be included to just saying is it just going to be a handful of uh, uh the very righteous uh but uh you know god forbid in order to create the perfect world for the righteous people to serve god unhindered that uh like the flood uh almost all of the sages and the prophecies say that god god forbid will destroy the world in order to bring this uh, future times if humanity um, isn't ready for it. And uh, so that's a somewhat understanding of uh, Judeo theology. A lot of Jews are secular. That's why I said like anti-Semitism doesn't fear believing Jews as much as unbelieving Jews. I mean, it's like crime and punishment. No one wants to suffer. Um, but from a believing perspective, uh, you know, even the Jesus uh, cult and what was happening around the time of the destruction of the second temple that yeah i mean jews are expecting that uh some event is going to occur and it's it's going to be good for us because that's what our our prophets say and if a person's a god-fearing person will say therefore we should be extremely extremely careful about our behavior and uh and even from a perspective a lot of christians would agree with uh using the expression like the kingdom of god um that we should act like we plan, we see the world is going to be after Messiah comes, even now, even though the majority of humanity is still uh, fallen and acting in, uh, you know, inappropriate ways. And 
succumbing to the baser uh, desires of the body and stupidities and sin, that it's still capable for a person to be righteous and act in a righteous uh, time like it will be after Messiah comes. And just after Messiah comes, that will be the only behavior that's acceptable. And, uh, you know, Hanukkah... Well, it seems like we, um, you know, we, we definitely, when God created man and when he created the universe, he uh, made men and women different from all other living creatures in that um, he gave us the ability to know good and evil, the ability to discern, the ability to reason. The, that's why we have a soul. In a sense, we are images of God. And in that way, we're very weak and very frail, imperfect uh, reflections of God. And in the same way that God can create the universe, we can create activities and actions in our own lives. And those can be reflected in our societies that we create and that those things could be based upon what um, truths. I mean, what um, what, what Thomas Jefferson called inalienable rights in the Constitution. Um, I know that that's been described as a British Enlightenment idea. It is the founding political philosophy of the United States, but I think it does derive from from the Torah. And um, we we do have, you know, as you say, even though we we're, Judaism is a is a is a way of life, it's a practical, functional, you know, means of living. There's also an aspect to it that's spiritual and, and that's based on faith and a belief in a creator of the universe. And, and that we do have, as you say, the prophets. Um, Christians have interpreted the prophets in a different way than our rabbis and sages have interpreted the prophets. But nevertheless, our prophets, particularly Ezekiel and, um, and Joel, do talk about scenarios that would happen at the end of human civilization. I don't think that they mention anything about a Messiah. I think that came later. Um, the first mention of Messiah, I think, is in the book of Ezra, where they re make reference to Cyrus the Great as a Messiah, because he helped, he wrote a, 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 an edict that um, called for the Jewish people to return to their homeland and rebuild the temple. Well, from um, anyone who studies Talmud, it's the last chapter or sometimes the 10th or 11th chapter of Sanhedrin about courts. And it's called Chalik because it has the, it starts with uh, the statement that's in Perkyavos, Kol Yisrael Yeshlehem Chalik, Le'olam Haba. All of Israel has a portion in the world to come. And then it goes on to say, except, and it makes a clear exception of people who reject Messiah and the resurrection of the dead. And then the Talmud itself asks, well, it doesn't say in the Torah. Where does it say in the Torah about the about uh, um, Messiah and the resurrection of the dead? And it brings a bunch of verses, and there's a discussion about how these verses allude to it. Uh, but it is the unequivocal um, statement in the Talmud, mm -hmm. even though it may not be in uh, the Hebraic writings. And we mentioned you know, the debate between okay. Nicholas Dunn and, and Rabbi Yechiel that... Uh, that you basically you're not a Jew, you're not going to heaven if you don't believe in uh, Messiah and the resurrection of the dead. And the Talmud uh, kind of lays it on lays it on you like that. Uh, yeah, and I'm also not... that was reiterated by Maimonides in his Thirteen Principles. But uh, let me ask you this, David: What is the Jewish definition, therefore, of Messiah? What do we see as this 
is it a person that's going to you know kind of show up on the back of a donkey and wearing sandals and a white robe and a nice long uh, you know blonde beard and he's going to you know proceed into the uh, the the gate of the of the uh, old city i mean what do we see how is that going to happen who is it going to be well there are certain signs that are mentioned even in the <coughs> the scriptural verses that are believed uh, to be about uh, the prediction of messiah and uh, the sages uh, like being born on on Tishabov, being descended from the house of david uh, maimonides in the principles lays it down basically we will know Messiah by the signs and the fulfillment of the things that we know Messiah is supposed to do, which is, you know, is obviously why um, Jews don't believe in Jesus, because the major framework of the conception of what Jews believe Messiah is supposed to do, uh, Jesus really did none of those. Which, right. uh, which you know is, is well. I mean, right. when the temple which was standing was to, be, to rebuild the town to you know re liberate the country and lead a. A, a, a holy commonwealth that would then be a light unto the world. Well, it basically, I mean, I mean, from this time it'd be to ingather the Jews to Israel, restore us to Mosaic law, mm -hmm. rebuild the temple, overthrow the oppression, any any nation that's oppressing the Jewish people. I mean, so the main thing that Jesus didn't do was overthrow the oppressors of the Roman rule. From a typical Judeo perspective, um, Messiah is going to throw off the shackles of our oppressors. And, uh, you know, Jesus didn't do that. The Romans uh, right. uh, stayed in power and destroyed our temple. So, I mean, the basic thing that a person, like if you're a Jew, you know, we're, we're, we're required, you know, verbatim that the Talmud says, if you even think about um, not believing in Messiah, resurrection, the dead, like, you know, what are you doing in Judaism? Um, to say, well, what does that mean? So you look like the Lubavitch Rebbe or something by a person's action, um, that accomplished a lot, but even the Lubavitch Rebbe, you say, like, well, the temple's still not re uh, rebuilt. There's still a mosque there, and uh, even though from a rationalistic perspective, you could say what we want, we expect Messiah to do. It is clear that the Lubavitch and the requirements of, of uh, you know, keeping Mosaic law, um, being descended from King David, returning Jews to Israel, and Mosaic law plus the. Uh, your political handlings to strengthen the Jews to be in a position to have a strong Israel and rebuild the temple, that there's no comparison to anybody to the Lubavitch Rebbe um, from last generation. However, the Lubavitch Rebbe clearly um, did not even come close to what Messiah is supposed to do, even though he did more than conceptually we could even imagine a flesh and blood person doing. And so from that messianic level, um, yeah, we're looking for a guy like the Lubavitch Rebbe, but he's actually got to do the job, you know, like, like, right, and, right. and, and also, and this is Judaism's where... practical like that, like saying, like, it's not going to be like some prophet picks this guy and he's Messiah. It's like, is Messiah is going to be the person who gets things, the job yeah. done. Now, there's also, this is where um, conventional Judaism, traditional Judaism dovetails with Zionism and that, uh, the uh, establishment of the Israeli Commonwealth basically threw off the shackles of oppressors and we were able to become independent and determine our own lives and our own destinies in freedom. And then in 1967, the Six Day War resulted in our assuming, a re reasserting control over Jerusalem, which was another step. And so these things are steps. They are not messianic per se, 
you know, the, it, but basically what it's doing is it is creating the setting. It's creating the, the, the uh, stage, you know, we're building, you know, we're building the scaffolding uh, by which then the Messiah will, you know, the, the path will be cleared. You know, obviously a Messiah isn't going to come until these things happen. I suppose that uh, there is a movement in Jerusalem to rebuild. Just to put it on, on your back on you. No, no, it's not. Yeah. Messiah is not going to come till it, it, it. Messiah is likely one of our rabbinic leaders and will raise to the position of fulfilling uh, you know, the, the task at, at hand. You know, so we already know that there's uh, you know, countless uh, rabbis, and I would even guess the rabbinic class in general, uh, maybe 10, 20, 30% is made up of descendants of King David. And uh, generally, right. any, exactly any, lo any local is. rabbi is working on the general things that are needed to do for Messiah to come. Um, I, I would hope so. I would hope that every Jew is working on those things. Every human so, being is working on those so things. So it's not necessarily going to be God. a mysterious. No. Uh, it's, it's not going to be like a mysterious being that comes out of nowhere. It's going to be you know, a prominent figure that raises to such prominence that, uh, you know, next thing you know, in this newspaper, that prominent figure is uh, rebuilding the temple. Is, uh, but, but we're all involved in, in the work that's going to be required to make that happen, you know, in, in terms of, of knowing God, uh, of reordering our lives in a way that is godly, of uh, being a light unto all nations and asking the whole world to know God. And all of this thing, all of these things are practical things that every individual participates in. So we're all involved, Judaically speaking, in the work of ushering in the Messiah. Now, um, you, you know, so, so, um, so no, I kind of lost my train of thought there. But anyways, uh, David. Um, the, the, I appreciate what you're saying. That, that, I mean, to, when we tell educate Jews, like if I had, you know, Jewish children to give the tradition to, um, you know, that's generally what we tell them, that everyone yeah. through doing mitzvahs and being a good person and laid onto the nation or priest to nations is helping bring messiah I mean, that's right you don't if you're like a rabbi who knows your lineage and you're descended from king david like i mean if you're like uh, are there such people well in theory most i mean of genetically the, speaking do we know that people are descended from the davidic line i mean is that it, it's accepted within the tradition like rashi claims that he's a descendant of king david and we know i mean rashi had four daughters but rashi family a lot of the famous uh rabbis who wrote books um claim descendancy from King David and a lot of the rabbis uh, today are descended from those rabbis. So if you say like uh, um, the Satmar Rebbe, the Bubba Rebbe, or even Litfish rabbis that don't have a Hasidic way of, of representing it are factually, um, I wouldn't even be surprised 25% of Orthodox rabbis mm -hmm. are descended from uh, King David. And they'll tell you because they, because most rabbis are rabbis because their parents were rabbis and most rabbis that are big rabbis descend from uh, big rabbis and uh, yeah, those, those and, lineages are re are reasonably well known so i'm saying in judaic belief i mean it's not, it's not like lubavitch lubavitch was widely criticized for that but just saying that um the messiah is likely to rise from the rabbinic class and also, I think it's it's safe to say that but everybody, everybody, every Jew in belief, and, and you know, a Christian or any person who believes in the concept, 
could say on a small action, um, our deeds are making it more, the world more receptible to a That's Messiah right, to for the Messiah to emerge. And I think or, that, or through being sinful, say, the opposite. God that's forbid. right. Let me, let me just say two things about it. Firstly, uh, the uh, Christian gospels go to great lengths to link Jesus's lineage to the to the house of David. I think there are several, I think it's in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke. And also, I don't think that scientifically speaking, it's at all far-fetched to suggest that there are descendants of David. After all, David's son Solomon had a thousand wives, <laughs> right? I mean, or 700 wives and 400, 300 concubines, according to the book of Chronicles. So I think that let's just say he had some pretty, pretty good number of offspring. And that's I mean, not, Rashi's that's not like a David. prophet. Rashi's not like a prophet, but when Rashi says what he's saying, he claim he doesn't claim to be really smart and you know figured this stuff out. He claims that he's a direct descendant of King David sure. and even gives a lineage to uh the Talmudic rabbis that he claims he's descended from. Oh yeah, and, and also Haile Selassie of Ethiopia claimed to be descended from David from us uh, from Solomon and Sheba. So, and I don't think that's something that can be dismissed either. You know, after all, I mean, that's part of the uh, Book of Kings and the Book of Chronicles. So, you know, there are, there are people out there who, who can genetically speaking, let alone rabbinically speaking, well, a lot poss of Jews, possibly be descended from David. Yeah, I mean, even the Reform obviously openly reject this a few hundred years ago. And in, in Israel, um, it's at least governmentally rejected, although close to 50% of Israelis have been polled thinking that they wouldn't mind a return uh, to a monarchy. Uh, but if, you, if you're looking at Judaism as the historical, um, even as a caste religion, you know, like to, you, people explain Hinduism as a caste religion. And I know my local rabbi, I mean, not, not is a professor, not of engineering, um, but he actually has smicha from YU, from the Rav. And he always pushed back when I tried to, uh, um, called biblical Israel a caste religion, but I still think that's semi-accurate in a Judeo belief system and saying it, it is somewhat of a return of the caste system mm -hmm. that the sages put as a sign of uh, of Messiah. And so obviously the the Christian belief that you know God forbid would say we're blinded, that Jews are blinded, still wanting to return to a caste system, and that's not actually what's going to happen when Messiah comes. And I like Abe Foxman's, uh, I, I told to my mother, and uh, I have Abe Foxman, I didn't put on my YouTube page, but he came to Detroit, I got a selfie with him, but his, you know, was asked, you know, you're working together with all these Christians, and don't you know that the Christians think that, uh, you know, when Messiah comes, it's going to be Jesus, and if you don't accept him, you know, God forbid, we're going to be destroyed. And Abe Foxman's famous quote is like, we'll renegotiate when we get to that point. And to some extent, I mean, that's Abe Foxman's joke, but I, I could somewhat say that's the official Jewish position well, yeah. in I mean, terms of old, like Christian yeah. um, Islamic uh, understandings of Messiah and eschatology, where it's like, yeah, well, there's we an old we're Israeli, right. we'll, we'll renegotiate well, when we get to that In point. that vein, there's an old Israeli joke about um, the Messiah showing up at the top of the Mount of Olives and looking down to the city and getting ready to mount the donkey and go into... Um, you know, the city and the Israelis send up a little delegation to greet him <clears throat> and they show up and they shake his hand. How are you? Welcome to our country. So tell me, is this your first visit or is this a return visit? So, you know, in other words, you know, we'll then find out this, these great questions, these great paradoxes. But I think that it's safe to say that 
for this to happen, I mean, if Israel is prepared to receive a monarch, a messiah descended from David, it would have to be both an individual who had reached a level of spirituality and ethics and righteousness that they would be prepared to take that position very much in line. I mean, practically, it, it would be like one of the Aguda Rebbe's. It was saying like right. in, in, the political, it, in the political process, like if there was some sort of electoral thing and somehow united toward Judaism or Shas um, got, uh, um, you know, from a political perspective, it mm. would be from the slate of well-known rabbis. You're saying like, it's going to well, be the Rebbe, the Carlina Rebbe. But the point Rebbe, is it would have to be uh, you know, This Rebbe, that Rebbe, yeah, as know. opposed to, you know, maybe a, a Christian be, or even pure Talmudic. Yeah. It's going to be some guy out of nowhere that no one ever heard it of. It might be somebody who's not even necessarily Jewish. But the point is that... If well, I was saying that's the Jesus, kind of like the Christian thing from a Judaic well, it's perspective. A of David. From the Christian perspective, you're like, no, it's going to be some nobody out of nowhere. No, no. And from a Judaic perspective, is like, no, like, look to the major, major well, the point rabbis is it and would rabbis. Have to be... Like you're saying, if you can't find Messiah among your major rabbis or... or, or or rabbis, we're in serious well, trouble. You know like, don't I, for... I don't know if we can find it there. I'm not saying we can't. But if they were going to be a king of Israel, you're saying like you. You're I'm saying, saying it would, it, have it to would be most descendant... likely be like the Ger Rebbe or the Vishnitz Rebbe. No, what I'd say Rebbe. is it has to be. It's a set. It has to be several things. It well, those people all claim to I, be descended me... from King David, and that's yeah, the point yeah, that I'm I making is that, that those Rebbe's claim and have a reasonable claim. If you're going to say who is most likely through all this to be descended from King David, you well, say, it would well, have to be maybe the Belzer Rebbe or the Ger Rebbe. It would have to be some genetic aspect, and also it would remind me of the rabbis who made up this this San. But just to age. make the point, but I finished my point. Well, I, I just want to make the point about the the realness of what I'm saying. I'm saying the Belzer Rebbe name is Rokich, and anyone who studied their Talmud knows the 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 Rishon, the, you know, the Roke, the Rokeach, Rokich, and he is a son after son descendant, and the Rokich claimed to be uh, already back then a descendant All from right, King well, David. We'll have to take a look at it. But the point I'm making is that the whoever it is they would have to be like the Sanhedrin rabbis during the Roman times. And uh, if you study the Tanaim, the rabbis of, of, uh, of first Judea and then Palestine in those times, and also the, the Sanhedrin in, um, I think there was also a Sanhedrin in Babylonia. These were men who were high level, moral, spiritual figures who were both learned and both were functional in terms of how they lived their lives. They were married. They were with children. They had professions outside of the rabbinate. They, they, you know, were carpenters or they were blacksmiths. They made a living. They taught their sons how to swim. They were involved in public education and they were involved with good works in their communities that were demonstrable and knowable. The, you know, it takes a certain kind of person to rise to that level. And I think that it's more than just an individual who could assume that that throne. And we know that what can happen with that. I mean, look at David's son, Solomon, ended up going bad. I mean, and, and the whole thing fell apart. Uh, but also the people would have to be ready for it in Israel, in the world, in the, in the in all the Jews of the world and all the non-Jews of the world would probably have to be ready as well in order to reach a level of spirituality, a level of ethics, a level of knowledge, a level of intellect, that they could be prepared to receive this event. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Now, I hope and I pray that this can happen, and I hope it happens soon. I hope it happens in my lifetime, especially as we are facing crises. 
but I don't know if we're there yet. You know, I mean, we have to really study this. This is the job of our sages. This is the job of our, our religious leaders to study this situation as it exists on the ground and to put forth various principles and ideas that could help us get there. So anyway, we're talking about, the, I mean, as I said, the stage is set in Israel because we do are in Jerusalem. I mean, I Eschatology is extremely interesting like that. I just mentioned, you know, I, I had my talk on Monday about why I oppose censorship in this Brood and Branch Association in uh, Jerusalem. I'm trying to connect you to speak there also Thank with uh, uh, Lowell Galen, who uh, was a reporter, um, some sort of Hollywood executive who made Aliyah and retired to Jerusalem, and Les Glassman, a dentist from South Africa, mm -hmm. who retired to Jerusalem, and they've been gathering speakers uh, for, for 25 years, thank God. And, and uh, luck, think, think they included me, I assume they'll include you also. But uh, Wednesday, they had Hillel Weiss, uh, who had been the head of uh, Steinzaltz, uh, Rabbi Steinzaltz's uh, oh, attempt yeah. to remake the Sanhedrin. And he said that he resigned because he opposed um, the deal, because he opposed Trump's deals. And he said, uh, and I mean, I, I, I thought yeah, we talked about the about Abrahamic Accord or, or the, 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 um, the both the, the deal of the century and I mean, the, the embassy wasn't a deal. The deal of the century was Kushner's peace plan that okay. you know didn't get adapted, but the Israeli government officially said like they, they were supportive of it, but the Palestinians never came to the table. Um, but the uh, Besdin, the Steinsholt uh, officially supported both the deal of the century and the Abraham Accord. And he was in opposition so much so that he resigned from the wow. body. What and was and it was basically because of giving territory of Israel back that uh, that the, both the deal of the century and the Abraham Accord um, agreed to uh, stop the annexation and possibly even uh, give back land. And uh, but, you know, just mentioning okay. that the, these, you know, the rabbinic body that Rabbi Steinsaltz uh, um, created and uh, ver versus, uh, you know, messianically looking at it like a, from a Haredi Orthodox perspective, you just think like Orthodox Judaism is basically it. And when Messiah comes, Orthodox Judaism will win. And, you know, we'll rebuild the temple and, you know, like somehow the world will all be. Well, you know uh, something, I don't know. Uh, about, I don't mean Orthodox, I mean Halakha. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know about Orthodox But I mean, from Judaism a Kabbalistic perspective stance, or uh, even a larger perspective, you're saying that, no, the world is going to be transformed in a way that is incomparable to the way the world is now. And so it's a dispute at the end of days. If you're saying that after Messiah comes, whatever naturalistic process leads to that, um, we're required to believe in the resurrection of the dead, which comes shortly after Messiah. And, and that means the complete transformation of the world where the Kabbalists even say like, that's it. No, the, the cycle of birth and death ends. And you know the, all the righteous people from the previous generations are resurrected to live here on earth and serve God. And, uh, and and then, you know, like the 7,000 year cycle, uh, most of the capitalists believe the material world will carry on, a, you know, a thousand years like that and uh, and then possibly be destroyed and, and will enter some sort of heavenly realm. Um, although, although generally it, it completely doesn't matter to your average Jew about these things. Like we, we know we have to believe, I mean, it makes a big difference in practice for things like, uh, like burial because the main reason Jews get buried 
is the superstition of resurrection of the dead and what happens to the body after death. In, in fact, most Jews probably don't know our own theology. In, in fact, like how uh, serious Judaism views the punishment for sin that uh, your average Jew probably doesn't appreciate the type of uh, statements in the text that gives for the severity of punishment for sin that could occur that, that you know, saying that uh, the, the, we need to get buried in order that our body could be eaten by maggots and worms in order that we should suffer to atone for the sins we committed while we lived in the body and that a person who didn't sin will miraculously avoid um, the penalty of the flesh. Mm -hmm. And so from a rationalistic perspective, it's a pretty big stretch to believe. I was mentioning that the, the idea of progress, uh, even Philo, um, like the Demiurge, I finally got a book on the, the history mm -hmm. of the Demiurge of an important topic. Uh, if you translate that, like Philo kind of relates uh, Jehovah Shem in the Torah to this concept of the Demiurge. And you could sometimes, it's, it's a complicated subject, but if you call the Demiurge progress, that Jews generally believe in progress and, and your average Jew will have a vision of messianic things that rejects kind of like Christians, the orthodox understanding that like, oh, we're all going to go back to keeping halakha, Messiah will come, and then the Jews will have a chance to become, uh, you know, bali tshuva or be destroyed or, or be going forever or something like that. But uh, you're saying it's probably more to that and your average Jew in like a philo type way of saying even your average Jew worships the demiurge and believes that we're doing something that's making the world better and that's going to be better for everybody uh, or everybody who could be included in this eventual society that we're working towards. Well, I mean, I don't really understand the uh, the concept of the demiurge. My understanding is that the demiurge is a son of God. The demiurge is half human, half God, and it's a Greek concept. And um, you know, it perhaps... is different interpret. I mean, Plato talks about it, and it has a more generic uh, spiritual versus like an idol or, or, or a demigod versus spiritual concept of uh, demiurge is the force that pushes humanity forward until we reach the utopian society, or at least in a Judeo-Philo type understanding. Uh, you well, know, then I mean, in that sense, the demiurge is just another name for God. But, um, but in, a, in a specific way that, that there's a God who is active in pushing humanity towards an end goal and, uh, and you know, even acting through the Jewish people mm -hmm. uh, to do that and, and saying like the end goal is a given and that God is going to use the Jewish uh, people to reach that end goal is also a given. And that's you know, kind of the information or, or the Greek way that Philo has it's tried to- Is that conventional to... understanding in Judaism that God is there you know, sort of like as- well, I think that's how Philo tried to explain it in a defense of Judaism to Caligula. So, but uh, that understanding of- uh, of in future times also and in, in that might be resurrected in Kabbalah or something. But is that for conventional Judaism or, or Orthodox? The word Orthodox just means conventional. Well, no, I'm saying is that's, that is, that's Jewish Greek heresy. You know, saying I, like, oh, no, okay, we, like, you. They're saying that we believe in a demiurge that's pushing progress forward. To right, exactly. Uh, at the same and time, saying, like, maybe no, I'm... Jews believe that we're going to rebuild the temple and reinstitute the, you know, God forbid, uh, if you're calling it accurately the caste system and you say that, no, no, it, it, we are going to reinstitute the caste system, but it's going to be good. You know, maybe I'm being influenced here by modern notions of enlightenment, British, you know, empiricism, 
uh, deism, if you will, you know, the, the philosophy of Hume and Locke that really was manifest in, in Thomas Jefferson's Declaration of Independence and the Founding Fathers. And that is this idea that while the Lord our God created the universe and all things, both he, he gave man free will and we have therefore been spun off as images of God and we have the ability to mold our own lives, mold our own futures, invent and, and create our civilizations based upon accumulating knowledge of God's universe. But yet God is not there to intervene. I mean, it's not that God doesn't intervene. We don't know that. That's a mystery. But the whole idea is that we are separated from God, that we are not God, and that we have free will, and that we have the ability <clears throat> to create our civilizations. I mean, now my, my view on that, again, it might not be particularly classically Jewish. It might be deist. I mean, I'm influenced by my, you know, what I'm exposed to in, in this life. I don't know. Well, I told you, like, if, if, if you're not picturing Messiah to be one of the prominent rabbis in Jerusalem, you're influenced by something else than Judaism. And, and no, you're I do, saying, I do and, and saying if you don't, think, don't, if you don't think that the Ger Rebbe or your Belzer Rebbe's are your most likely candidates for king of Israel, like, you know, who do you think is it going to be? I, no, I do believe that. Though. And, and, and I, mean, think, I don't what, know. What, what do you think the king of Israel is like? You know, saying like, it's yeah. not like these Hasidic Rebbe's. You're saying no, it's gonna I think be it like, probably it's is going to be like a Euro European monarch. No, 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 no. It's going to be, it's a spiritual, just like I recognize. Maybe it's going to be like a Sephardi or Moroccan or Yemenite rabbi, but, but it could it, be, but no, but look, I do think it's going to be one of those people. I don't know who, whom, and I'm not here. You say like the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Who knows? Like, yeah. I think it's going to be one of those people. It's going to come He's going to lead prayers. You're saying like, yeah. He's gonna, he's and, gonna, and I think that obviously he's gonna the monarchy. To fill in. He's going he's yeah, oh, to he's gonna lead holiday rituals. Yes, indeed. And I think that obviously the um, it's different than a conventional monarchy. Just not like a statesman, you know. So he's not no. going to need. Well, just like Israel, I would argue, as a state, is different than a conventional state. It has a spiritual component to it. Yes, the Zionist movement is secular. I get that, and and even atheistic. That doesn't matter. The fact is that Zionism, as an idea, as an as an ideal, in in the in the in the classic sense, not in the functional sense, combines secular statism with faith, with with spirituality, and that for that reason, a king of Israel would have to embody both of those principles as well. It's not, you know, this isn't uh, you know king of Belgium. You know, this is. Uh, you know, this is a, it's a, it's a position of, of um, leader of the spiritual world, but also leader of a secular state. I mean, I suppose in a way the Catholic church has this with the Pope, right? We think it'd be more ceremonial. I mean, I wanted to talk about Israeli politics also, and maybe the Morocco sure. Go ahead. Or, or deals with saying that you're just like, you have the president of Israel now that uh, largely has ceremonial functions and there's more power in prime right. minister yes it, it, you know king of israel um or, or the priest of israel would reside over the temple and if they had returned to animal sacrifices and saying the, the king of israel you know, like the queen of uh, england or something might um have an official ceremonial role over the administrative bodies but like no i mean the king of israel and the high priest their goal is to run the rituals not to uh run the economy and if Israel right, moved that's forward, right. they would and, still have a prime minister. And also, I mean, Israel, the, the there's king, a lot going on in Israel, if you want to talk about that. Well, let's uh, let's do that. But I just want to point out also that there's a difference between the king of Israel, the Messiah king and the high priest. 
that's two separate offices. That's like, a, in fact, one of the problems that the uh, Hasmonean uh, Commonwealth got into that would being that came about because of the Maccabean rebellion and the, the story of Hanukkah was that they confused those two offices. And sometimes the head of state would become also the high priest. And that turned out to be a disaster. So, you and know- That's Hanukkah story. That's why the Maccabees is likely not included in the Hebrew canon because the Hajbanoim took over the kingship even though they were priests. That's right. So you, you have to separate those two offices. Anyway, so what's going on in Israel? Yes, I actually noticed, you know, I, I was, Adam Green was mentioning it and I saw it and I don't like it and I'll call it out. And I saw these deals and, and like I, I mentioned to you that uh, Rabbi Weiss and I spoke to him yesterday, quit the Besden over Israel, over these deals. He didn't think they, they were good deals. Right. And uh, I saw these articles that um, with Sudan, that it's basically America that's giving that, that it has clauses. It's not just like Israel and Sudan are normalizing ties. It has clauses. Sure. And all of the clauses are not things that Israel is supposed to do. They're things that America is supposed to do. Right. That's right. Like in Morocco, the United States, the, the deal there is that we have recognized Moroccan sovereignty over Spanish, formerly Spanish Sahara. Which is yeah, so all these deal. deals are, are, are basically fake deals. And they're it doesn't make them fake. And it's just, well, they are because they're centered around the ability of Israel to influence the U.S. So either they're not a deal with Israel, they're a deal with the U.S. And it's a clause in the deal with the U.S. to normal uh, normalize ties for Israel. And it's not a deal with, to normalize well, ties for Israel it's more complicated that has than that. that has these. And and uh, and and at the same time, that the ultimate effect of these deals is going to be for Israel to give up sovereignty over its own land and you know that's why rabbi weiss resigned from uh well i don't know about that i mean who's uh, that was his claim that i mean so oh, okay. that but i mean that that's i mean what, i uh, guess that if he wants to reject the kushner peace i saw the economic clause. yes israel is going to give up some sovereignty i that's true you interviewed david rubenstein the economic club of washington interviewed the uh, diplomat for the emiratis and uh another uh, i guess bahrain and uh, the Emiratis mentioned the reason they did the deal was to stop the annexation. That's what he openly said, that Fine. the reason the UAE Maybe, look, if enough did countries the deal, make this deal was as, as a way to stop annexation. Well, look, so from, David, from, this from is Rabbi Weiss's I... perspective, he's like, I would have rather had annexation than those deals. And so you're saying, okay. oh, big deal for those deals. No, you, I'm, I'm saying that if, if these deals do- But you're saying, were, were those deals actually deals or yes, were those were. deals just and a way they, for you no, to stop annexation? It's both. And I think that, look, if these deals continue on the path that they are, and, and it'll include countries like Saudi Arabia, and if relations are normalized between Israel and these countries, they start to exchange embassies, they start to exchange trade relations and diplomatic activity and cultural exchange, and, and, and the relationships become more normal, then maybe the stage would be set for Israel to allow for a Palestinian entity. I mean, I'm not opposed to that. I just don't, I don't think it's the time right now, but I think that as long as Israel retains sovereignty over Jerusalem, and by the way, the Kushner deal gives Israel sovereignty over the Jordan Valley, then, and so they have like, in a sense, military and political control, then maybe there could be an autonomy for, for the Palestinian Arabs. I mean, I'm not against that. You got your experts that talk to you that know a lot more about this. 
I've been saying for 15 years now that I thought Netanyahu or still do is a CIA stooge. And there, there's reasonable evidence of that. And you're saying that uh, there, there's certain reasons why, you know, why, why is Israel ran by a CIA stooge? Is Netanyahu a CIA stooge? How did he become to be a what CIA? What do you mean a CIA stooge? You might have a. I mean, the Mossad probably has some interactions with the CIA. I mean, it's no. Not... I mean, meaning to say that I mean, from a, a Judeo perspective, the Lubavitch Rebbe chose Netanyahu to head Israel. And you know, there's the videos of Netanyahu going to the Rebbe and Netanyahu himself saying he went so to the what? Rebbe by saying that. Um, That's politics. Well, I mean, with Netanyahu's second wife. And, and and saying that like well maybe she was CIA the whole time, and uh, not about CIA. Look, I'm sure he does have some interactions with the CIA. Well, no, I'm saying that, that 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 he's been owned by the U.S. the second time. That story with this with his second wife isn't true. She was, you know, he was in you know Boston, your area, at an elite school, mm-hmm. and uh, you know his second wife was always a CIA agent, and uh, and and he's basically been owned and controlled. <laughs> since his times yeah, at crazy. MIT, and that like, well, I'm, I'm going to give you the reason why I'm saying this, is that like a fake state, Israel's prime minister is not really Israel's prime minister. He's an oh, American. that's craziness. That's well, like saying well, that Donald no, Trump me, is spying for the Russians. I mean, it's like no, a conspiracy no, is, Well, No, I'm saying, well, the fact He's that a that, loyal Israeli. No, I'm, well, I'm saying besides the fact that uh, you know, Netanyahu uh, went to school and had his training in America, speaks English, um, the so information much. about his, uh, you know, second wife that you know they tried to correct by, per, you know, oh, I'm sure she's in the loyal Israeli. I mean, maybe she might work for the CIA. So what? I mean, that's like saying that Trump is spying for the Russians. I mean, these things are no, but I'm saying there's evidence. There, there, there's there, like Trump even if it were true, it doesn't. There, well, there, first of all, there's no evidence. I mean, that Trump was well, I'm saying Trump Russians. didn't go to school and spent his formidable years in Russia. Fine. There was no evidence. Netanyahu, that. Netanyahu didn't rise to well, becoming prime minister even, by 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 he rose to becoming prime minister by coming to America. Even if and you're sec- saying that I'm saying it's separate. It's saying that even, the democracy in Israel is a even, sham, even, and it's no, the U.S. that instilled no. Netanyahu second, and keeps even, them in power. They, they didn't instill. I mean, these are instilled. Well, let me say that the all of these of deals are really basically. I'll call no, him CIA I, I puppet. That's, I think that's so. So he's saying Net, Netanyahu, Morocco, UAE, Bahrain. All of these people are basically puppets. So these deals that are coming between the no, puppets, no, and they're saying no. even the even the way the U.S. Puppets deal is structured, it's got States. nothing to do with Israel. What benefit? You know, so now Israelis could fly. Israel has enormous benefit from this. Enormous from flying benefit. to Morocco. Yes. No, all of it. Israelis, Israelis Israel, don't really Israel, have, Israelis are not really going to have any benefit from it. Israel has a benefit. You're just from like every Moroccans aren't going to have any benefits. So, so, no, like, they, they will have benefits. So I, I'm saying that Netanyahu have the is controlled. Peace. Netanyahu. I'm not even saying like he's a bad guy and he's corrupt. I'm saying like he's controlled by forces that are not oh, Israel. That's no. He's a loyal Israeli prime minister. Even if his second wife worked for the CIA, or he's just that a dummy, matter. or he's just a he's dummy. He's not dummy. He's brilliant. He, he's he's just Borat. He's just bore it and no, he didn't realize his second he's been wife a very was CIA. Ab- he's look, probably just bore it and he didn't realize his second even wife if, was CIA. Even if what you're time. saying is true, that his second wife worked with the CIA. I don't, so what? I mean, I mean, she never a, liked him. She never liked him. She tricked him the whole time. No, that's silly. He got paid by other forces. That doesn't mean that she's not a loyal Israeli citizen who was putting Israel's interest 
it first. And, and the CIA, who, who America usurped, who usurped Israel and overtook the no, control the United of Israel. States now this is point, Israel can't ally. even get rid of Netanyahu, just like Morocco. They can't yes, get rid of their king. The UAE, Netanyahu. they can't get rid of their king. <laughs> they can't get rid of Netanyahu because yeah, he's been he'll, held he'll in there his, no, by foreign that. forces, most likely the U.S. And so he could, you know, no, like, he's, really, he's held I don't think it's the CIA. I think there's other forces behind it, but I was saying if you had to give a, a logical yeah. explanation based not, on the, the logical explanation is he's supported by the majority enough Israelis to keep him in office. Well, I'm saying that it come to my theory is that the Israel, what would Jimmy Carter says, I mean, I don't have inside knowledge that Israel doesn't actually have nuclear weapons. So the secret about the nuclear weapons is they don't exist. And that's okay. why they have to keep uh, these old people. They can't let anyone new. I mean, even, uh, even, uh, Naftali what about Dimona? I mean, there's a there's a nuclear plant there. Well, nuclear plant, but he's saying the weapons. He's saying even Naftali Bennett has said he has not been revealed the secrets of uh, Israel's nuclear weapon program. And saying Fine. like Duvid, as an undergraduate at University of Michigan, was unveiled the secret of the U.S. nuclear weapons program. And so you're talking like all I had to do was be a freshman in the physics program at University of Michigan, and I was uh, revealed the secret of the U.S. Uh, nuclear weapons program. That's not that secret. Israel, even uh, Naftali Bennett, one of the like the tenth in command of the whole Israeli government, has said he's not been revealed that secret. So he's saying because the secret is they don't exist, and that's so related it's, to maybe Israel has maybe it's a, maybe it's a bluff. Netanyahu is really a puppet of some other forces. Uh, you know, maybe it's a bluff to keep the Arab world from uh, what's well, the U.S. is bluff. Aggression. That's why I'm saying that's why I'm saying that uh, it's the U.S. Israel is basically the U.S.'s bluff. That the the CIA is basically controlling Mossad, and that's why all I these deals so. are coming through. These deals, all these guys were our guys already. So you say, oh, there's you a new deal with the, the King whole... of Morocco and uh, Netanyahu. There's a new deal with Sudan. Is saying, well, those guys were our guys anyways. So that's why look, Trump is just cashing in on those no. deals by saying those deals had already well, first been done of all, years I ago, mean, and they're just being brought public. I, and it's I, even Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia probably calling the bluff. He's saying they don't. No, they don't. I, th I think that the entire international wor murky world of intelligence, whether it be the CIA, the Mossad, the MI5, the uh, the Russians, these are organizations that are extra governmental. They tend to interact with each other. They they tend to be involved in their own, frankly, their own somewhat internationalist philosophy. Um, uh, and they help each other win elections they and help stay each in power. Sydney Powell. That's why, that's why Netanyahu is in power of Israel. Here? By saying you didn't add that they help I, I, each other stay fine, in power. They and help win each elections. other, but and let me add that Sydney Powell in her testimony, her Kraken, which is now in front of the Supreme Court, she seems to speculate, and she doesn't have proof of it, but she says that she thinks that the CIA in the United States and the the so-called deep state that. Uh, that these people set up the whole rotten uh, Dominion voting uh, spot, uh, where to to fix elections all over the world, and that uh, this is an inside job. I mean, this is not you know they decide who gets to be in office. I'm not. not just, I know Lou, Lou uh, Gallon. Um, Lou Gallon had mentioned when I mentioned the SPLC about other factors in censorship that he considers the SPLC a money laundering operation. Oh, I agree. And, and he was saying, well, God forbid. Um, Jocelyn Benson's a, on their board, a, on their yes, board and of that's directors, very troubling. and she's and in she's, charge of Michigan elections, and yeah, she yeah. refused 
to testify in Congress because they were probably going to ask her about oh, that. Oh, she seems very corrupt. I mean, I don't know, but and she I, also I the only time I know her is when I went to see I went to see billionaires and she was the one interviewing them. Yeah. I mean, really, and she's also the one who's who's blocked the release of the forensic audit of the Dominion voting machines in Antrim County. Eventually it was released, or at least part of it was released. And we now know that those voting machines did indeed cheat. They, they were connected to the internet. They were switching votes. They use an average. Uh, this is another piece of uh, Sidney Powell's extraordinary testimony, which you can check out on YouTube if it's still up there. She was interviewed by a reporter from the Epic Times. I think that Eric Metaxas, who's a great talk show host, by the way, he has it on his site, where she shows that, uh, that these machines were online and they were being manipulated and they use averages. In other words, like, for example, for every, they set it up, in, in a way, they do it the same way in high schools now with, with, with kids how they get grades. They don't get a grade based on who they are. They average out the class. Well, these machines averaged out the votes in such a way that every Trump vote only got like 75% and every Biden vote got like 125%. So that if the Trump votes reach a certain threshold, they stop counting them, but they, do, they, they dilute them, whereas the Biden votes are allowed to go up. And you know this was why all of those states shut down on election night because their computers shut down. They, they, they couldn't, the Trump vote was overwhelming the computers and they had to stop. It was like a stop loss. Then they reopened them after they discovered more votes. So this, uh, and, and Benson is totally connected to that. She's, you know, talk about corruption. And that whole rotten government, frankly, in, in Michigan is, I, th I think, Whitmar and also that Attorney General Nessel. I mean, these people are, you know, I don't know if they're they're liberal radicals or they're just corrupt. I don't know, but they're doing well, yeah, a complete I think cover. A karmatically representative of the current state of karma. That they're not necessarily any more or less corrupt than the average actor. But they're ideologues. I don't think they're personally corrupt. I don't think they're. Which, by the way, I would not well, say they, the same about the Georgia government of, of Kemp and and Raffensperger. They do look like they're corrupt. They made money from apparently yeah, the corruptions because we're. Where the decline. Well, no, no, they made money. According to well, Sidney Powell, let me just say the this: of they made there's money, a lot of money from, to be stolen. No, there's always that, but they made money. No, from it's the not always that. Contracts it's with the, the Dominion software. The, the Dominion software company came into that state, according to Sidney Powell, with a hundred million dollar contract. Yeah, but that could but be something that's not surprising because that. Like, yeah, but the point is that this is kind of corruption, everything, in which America, all originates with China, because apparently the Dominion software is China is one of the major owners of it. They yeah, came I, I don't, I don't see it as a they are corrupt. I think it's representative of it's corrupt, karma. and it's all. I'm it's, saying it's corrupt because I mean, it's because it's it's because it's money laundering and, and it's, it's graft. I look in the mirror and I see and it's also corrupt. Also, in, in and, so I'm not just saying a they that's corrupt. And it's not it's, just Democrats either, because Kemp and them, they're Republicans. There's nothing to do with party. It has to do with a combination of old-fashioned corruption. And ideology. I think in the case of yeah, Michigan, I mean, honestly, it's not, it's you not, have a bunch of liberal. I, mean, I think it's more. In, I mean, corruption. You know, people to be selfish, and to try to use power for their own self benefit is a fact. There's nothing. Yes, of course it's do. a fact. That's so, why I mean, we have a system means, of laws. Corruption means nothing. Corruption is. Like, of course, you have a corruption. system of justice of and a balance. Are, but, Checks and balances to find the corruption and keep more, it in check. It's always there, honestly, but you I have think, to keep it in Edward check. I think Edward Dutton is probably right, and it's probably the reverse Flynn effect, and it's more incompetent. So you're claiming it's increased 
corrupt. I don't know. I, I don't think, think it's think, conscious. I think, I think, I think it's. I think it's no, probably I don't. Edward Dutton in the Flint in no, the reverse it's not in the, like This isn't. It's the average IQ has actually decreased. No, I reject that. This is not. You reject that the average IQ. No, of I reject. I reject the average no, IQ no, in the no, rural. What I reject. What I reject. The reason why these things are happening is no. What I reject because what I reject is the fact that six states consciously shut down at the same minute. That's a conspiracy. That's not incompetence. That's a conspiracy to steal an election. They're not doing oh, that because course. they don't know what they're doing. They obvious. know what they're doing. They have consciously decided to steal our election and overthrow this government. That is not an accident. That's not incompetence. In fact, it's very competent. Yeah, but I mean, I mean but to me, it's like, of course, like, like big whoop, surprise. Like you're saying that like, like I'm supposed to be shocked. Yes, and like of course, like like you some sort care. of baby. Look, it is you, don't know, you don't know that that's what people do. But yes, it is what people do. But it has never reached a level that they've gotten away with it. So no, because I, I disagree so with that assessment. I claim that they've always was, tried. I claim to that it. it's probably always been this bad or worse, and well, maybe it's we just didn't know about because it because that's human nature. But the point is that it has in this country we have always had at least some system of checks and balances where this kind of corruption could be discovered. We had a, a media oh, back I mean, then. It's only because of let the new me finish. Technology we have a media back things. then who actually investigated and exposed corruption as no. opposed to being completely in the tank. So yes, no, of course I, I there's corruption. That's human nature. The question is, does it reach a level? We can look at ancient Israel. They when they were when they knew God, when they were trying to do right, the country would prosper and people would thrive. When they became more corrupt, things would fall apart. Everybody would go to hell. And I think that this is a cyclical element of human nature. The point is that in this country, while of course we've always had corruption because that's human nature, we had in place a system of checks and balances where we could find this out and bring it to justice. That is gone. That's my point. That is okay, never well, I happened reject before. that that ever existed. And that's why, no, it's- it, I mean, it, you I might claim it, that like once we were better and now we're like- It's not a matter of being again. better. We're, we've never, every corruption is always there. The point is that there are enough mechanisms in place. They were put in place by the Constitution. I think it's the technology different. The reason we're coming to know about all these things now is because of uh, uh, your social media and, and technology no, differences. We are coming to know about it because for now, so, now media and technology can control things more. Now you can have- They can control the big, less. Big tech, no, big tech can censor and shut out opinion they don't want anyone to hear. Like for example, nobody knew that <clears throat> this president-elect of communication that used to exist in, still exists. Investigate was big tech is just a new new form of technology. No, all a, the no, other forms that people used to have not, to communicate all still exist. Yeah, but there are more advanced forms now. We have learned new things. Now you can, with a flick of a mouse, you can get a message all over the world within seconds. So you're you so I mean, you're, you're working on some. I mean, uh, you're like assumption that uh, in the, in the days where we didn't really know what was going on, then people were just and moral. And no, Dover I am not that. saying that. I think that, that people were a hell of a lot Dover, worse I'll before myself. we knew about things. And even you know, when you were a kid, you were assuming you know, that those things were We're going on a merry-go-round here because that is not yeah, so we, we made, we made our point. I have, have said that, that corruption has always existed and it probably did used to be worse. Again, and I'll repeat because we're at the end of the program. My point is that in this country, we had a nation of laws and not men, as John Adams said, where at least we could rely on objective series of laws which came from the Torah that would check the corruption, that would balance the corruption, that's gone. 
Anyways, David, we're at the end of the program. So uh, I want to thank you for joining me. I've got uh, another guest coming on. Great talk. I really appreciate it. And uh, keep on keeping on. We'll talk to you next week. Oh, yeah, happy Hanukkah. And uh, you know, I should look forward to watching your next program. So happy Hanukkah and hopefully talk to you next week. And I'll All right, uh, look forward to your next guest. Thanks a lot. Take care.